Welcome back to the Saturday edition of Lawton Women's Basketball, the internet's only women's basketball draft-focused podcast. Today, we'll talk about everything from player development and on-court context of lottery team to the curious case of Utah's Alyssa Peely as a WNBA draft prospect. Lawton Women's Basketball starts now. Ogumba Wallet for the win! You are Locked On Women's Basketball. Your daily podcast on women's basketball. Welcome, welcome. You are Lawton's Basketball. Thanks for making us your first listen every day. We are free and available wherever you get your podcast and on YouTube. My name is Cruz. I'm your Saturday host covering the WBA draft and prospect scouting. I'm joined by my host, M. Adler. M covers the NBA with a focus on player development in the game within the game. This episode is brought to you by Prize Picks. Prize Picks, uh, Prize Picks is the easiest and most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Go to PrizePicks.com/slash/locked1nba and use code all lowercase locked1nba for a first deposit match up to one hundred dollars. If you aren't aware already, the official NBA draft order was announced last Sunday with the top four as follows: at one, the Indiana Fever. At two, the LA Sparks. At three, the Phoenix Mercury. And at four, the Seattle Storm. We don't have to spend too much time on Indiana's portion because at this point, it's kind of obvious. Caitlin Clark is the obvious pick at number one. But for you, M, from a developmental perspective, what about the surrounding talent in Indiana complements Clark's game so well? And if you had your pick of these four teams, is Indiana the, the team you would most want her to go to? I think the easy answer is yes. I don't think the hard answer is yes. I think the answer is yes, regardless of how you're approaching this. I mean, at face value, you know, the most casual way to look at this is that, you know, you pair the best young center in the league with the, with Caitlin Clark, you know, the best guard prospect we've had come in, uh, in at least the past six or seven years, arguably ever. And, you know, on that, you know, there is just very little better that you can do for for a good young guard than having another good young post who's already as established as Leah Boston is um, on the offensive end as that sort of outlet. And especially, you know, as we see some growth from Boston on the defensive end, just being able to have that player behind them. You know, Clark can very much benefit in the ways that we saw, um, you know, the guards in South Carolina when Leah Boston was there and the way they based that defense around, you know, guards being active at the point of attack uh, and not being afraid to get basically just blown by at the level because you had such good backline help. And, you know, we'll see if Boston it can raise her game on that sense. We we know she's going to get better, but can she raise it necessarily so quickly that it makes up for Melissa Smith's uh, almost certainly continued extraordinary shortcomings on that end? I don't know. And I think that's where it's going to be at least interesting to see Clark in that context, you know, I think defensively the best case scenario for pretty much anyone coming into the league in the lottery is probably Seattle, right? Because of just how much defense you have, how good they are at, you know, at least coordinating their talents on that end. But, you know, you have sort of that baseline level analysis there with, with Boston. You have the second level you can look at is, you know, there is so much versatility in the, in the surrounding talent. There are established ball handlers. There are young, but, very much improved ball handlers who can help take the load off 
Clark and allow the team to use her both on and off the ball. You know, she can learn from someone like Kelsey Mitchell, who, you know, Clark offensively projects not maybe not from day one, but certainly within the early goings of a rookie season, she should probably be, and I hate to do this, but she should probably be as good as Kelsey Mitchell, not a very long while into her career and in pretty much the very similar ways. And I think in that sense, you know, there's a, there's a mold to grow into as well. And if you want to look again, even deeper than that, I think it's, you can make a pretty good case for Indiana's having the best player development infrastructure in the league in terms of how they coach things, in terms of how they develop players, both individually within their position groups, within the whole team and the way they structure reports um, individually around that. Um, you know, it's just, a, it, it is just an organization that I think at this point is a very ideal situation to go into, you know, if you're a player who is young and good and looking to get even better, you know, we'll see how that performs you know you, you got to put your money where your mouth is and we've only seen it for a year but the the indications are good yeah so let's talk a little bit about about the player development portion a little bit more so we don't know much about phoenix yet but mm -hmm. as far as los angeles and seattle what is it about their player development you think like really stands out i mean so neither of them are indiana i think so what we're about to I think anything that we're about to say about them is going to sort of pale in comparison. It's going to sound all, not, not, not like a dig, but it's going to sound like negative compared to that. And I think, I think that's right. Given the context of where the W is and where the W needs to be, you know, both of these teams don't have the player development infrastructure that I think they should have, you know, they definitely don't have the player development infrastructure that Indiana has. I think they definitely lag behind um, Minnesota and arguably Atlanta as well, just in terms of the actual level of um, sort of both top down and bottom up, just connections between the coaching, the conditioning and, and the um, front office and the training staff in how all these things come together. That being said, there's a pretty wide difference between teams that, you know, aren't in that tier one tier, the, sort of top end of tier two. I think that's where you see a huge difference between Seattle, who for a team that, you know, isn't working with a huge amount of coaching staff is working in a relatively traditional mold of your head coach, your three assistants, that sort of setup. They are doing a heck of a lot better than where LA is on this in terms of, you know, a more limited assistant staff, just in terms of, you know, the variety of roles that they can fill. A One of one of the more limited, I think, front office setups and not, and I don't mean that it's in terms of like where they are in terms of the entirety of the personnel, but just in terms of how things flow from the top, there are a lot of, there are a lot of really good voices in that room, but, but it does not seem yet that there's a perfectly cohesive vision for building to where Indiana is in the way that we've seen Indiana and LA, I think with its kind of resources, you just want to see the investment from that top-down approach to enable them to get there. And, you know, I think that's just the biggest thing when it comes to looking at these players develop. What, although I'm curious, what do you think about how that compares to at least the different situations that these top players are probably going to be walking into with these two franchises? Yeah, so with LA, I think we saw what they could do with Jordan Canada. And mm -hmm. I think that's huge with Cameron Brink. If Cameron Brink went to LA, that is really a really good spot for her. But if I'm LA, I'm taking Paige Beckers here at number two. If but she's as far in the, as, yeah. if she's in if she's in the draft, that's what really how we kind of approach this entire 
draft in general, just because you don't really know. But with Seattle, I, I think that Seattle's got a really good combination of just having former players in there, having just a lot of voices. And I think with Seattle, um, it's it's tough seeing where, where Seattle can go in this draft. It just depends how everything falls uh, from wh- wh- what decisions we get from the top three. But with yeah, Seattle, I think, oh, sorry. yeah, no, no, go ahead. You can go. Sure. <laughs> I, I, I think what you're getting at with Seattle with the voices is a really key point in that, you know, there are, um, you know, between the actual training in terms of, you know, medical training staff and the coaching mm-hmm. staff, like I said, it's a pretty traditional setup. Um, and, it, you know, and as well, the communication between the coaching staff in the front office, those all things are at least, you know, pretty far along in terms of what you want to see. And with what you're saying about the voices, there are a lot of good voices in the Seattle organization. And for the most part, one of the things that, you know, makes them very optimized, even within a, a more limited structure than some of the teams I've talked about before, is that the voices don't really overlap. And the voices are, you know, a lot of these people are very much in sync, you know, the link between, um, the link between, uh, you know, Ebony Hoffman and Noel Quinn and uh, Pokey Chapman, there is a lot of, you know, working in sync together and there is a lot of good work um, that just ends up coming out of people who are approaching things from a little different perspectives and and there's just a very open sort of communication before they even get to working with the players that I think sets up these messages to succeed in ways that, you know, other franchises, and I'm not talking about LA, but other franchises around the league who, you know, weren't in this lottery, you know, we know that th- that there are competing voices and there are ways that players are asked to sort of do things that take away from being able to focus on these visions. Do you also think Seattle is another organization that believes in drafting like athleticism over like pure shooting talent? We see with Jade, but there's, they also have Horst and Ezzy on their team where none of these players came in or are great shooters right now. Is that sort of the vision you also see with someone like Seattle? Hmm. That's a good question. And I I think it varies, right? It it, it varies based on what skill set you're looking at. I don't right. think Seattle is going to take a guard that shoots, you know, let's say 28% from three over her four years in college. And just because the sh- and just because they see something that they can fix in the mechanics, I don't think they're gonna take her really for the most part anywhere in the first round based on the idea of that sort of projectability of the shooting. So I, I think there's there's at least a baseline there and it de- depends on position. But yeah, I mean I think when it comes to players like um, Ezzy, players like Jordan Horston, you know, in these sort of setups, there is a belief and there's an approach that, you know, there is enough skill to fall back on if they're not going to be that level of a shooter. Um, but that being, that being said, that there is enough room for growth and there is enough reason to think that they're, that these players are capable of that. And so I think that that is an interesting point, uh, like you're saying, when it comes to, you know, looking at someone like Rahia Jackson, offensively there is so much to fall back on you know we have some issues with her but when you're talking about a player who might go to seattle uh, assuming you know the page backers doesn't come out of college if she does if she does enter the draft it's a whole different question when we're talking about you know your you know sort of tier one and then tier like 2a of clark and brink and then your tier two you're basically like your tier onto itself of Aaliyah edwards and the way many front offices see it, and I think that's the way Seattle's probably going to see it as well. If Edwards is there, easy pick. If she's not, if we're thinking about someone like Rahia Jackson, there's enough skill to fall back on, even if the shooting isn't there. But I think, th- but I think you know, we would both agree that there are reasons to think that Rahia Jackson maybe isn't a strong bet to be a plus shooter, but certainly can add a lot of value shooting at the four. 
Yeah, I agree. I think Rakia is she's a bucket. I mean, she's gonna get she's gonna, <laughs> gonna score points. She's gonna bucket and yeah, a prospect. Gonna, that is true. Another prospect we're gonna talk about after the break is a big subject with player development. She went from averaging eight points on very bad efficiency as a junior to one of the most efficient college basketball seasons we've ever seen. And we'll talk about Alyssa Peely after the break. Dave is the banking app that's leveling the financial playing field. When you download Dave, you can get up to $500 in five minutes or less. No, no credit check, no late fees. It's part of Dave's extra crash, extra cash account. Advance the money you need to no interest and then settle up later. Extra cash gives you more money to buy groceries, fill up your tank, uh, finally get your car repaired or catch up on bills without having to wait for your next paycheck. You can even build credit when you settle on, up on time. Millions of people have already downloaded the Dave app to make their finances easier. So if you're in a pinch, get the help you need by downloading Dave. Download Dave today at dave.com slash LockedOnNBA. That's dave.com slash LockedOnNBA. You can get up to $500 in five minutes or less. No check, no late fees. Download the Dave app now or go to dave.com slash LockedOnNBA. For terms and conditions, go to dave.com slash legal. Eligibility criteria and instant transfer fees apply. Baking service provided by Evolve, Men- member FDIC. I'm your host, Hunter Cruz, and before we get back into our conversation on 2024 WBA draft prospects, I want to inform you that Locked On has launched the first ever national sports 24-7 streaming channel on YouTube. Locked On Sports Today is here for you 24-7, covering the top sports stories of the day. Local experts of Locked On, plus our national sports shows covering every league, Go to Locked One Sports today on YouTube and subscribe to the first ever national sports 24-7 streaming channel. Though I'm sure everyone saw Alyssa Peely's performance on national television against South Carolina last weekend, here's some more background on the Utah Ford before we get into our conversation on her as a prospect. So Peely is a fifth-year senior Ford at Utah. She's listed at six foot two, but in all likelihood, we don't believe that. We don't believe that. She's probably six foot. I hope six foot one, maybe six foot and a half, Regard- maybe I'd- six foot and a half. Yeah, split mm. the difference. Regardless, <laughs> she's averaging twenty four point six points, five point three rebounds, and two point five assists on eighty percent true shooting. She's shooting seventy nine percent from two, fifty six percent from three, and seventy eight percent from the line so far this season. Stupid Where do you numbers. start with Alyssa Peely? Where do you start? I mean. There are a lot of different angles to come at this at. Uh, I think speaking of angles, the, I think the most obvious thing when you watch Lisa Peely, whether it's the 37-point game or just a oh, random yeah, thing. <laughs> or just the, the thing ra- yeah, just the random thing where you tune into, if for some reason you have the Pac-12 networks, you tune into Utah against Colorado in the middle of January when it's snowing like hell outside. And, you know, this is a 66 to 68 game at the end. And still the angles that she's finishing at, I think is the first thing that always comes to mind in any game. You, I don't think that I have seen a player in college who is as incredible as a finisher as Alyssa Peely. You know, I think when we talk about college players who are, you know, great finishers, it's, you know, you want to be at least relative to position when we talk about this. I think, I think Tip Hayes is probably like bar none, the greatest finisher in college history, like inch for inch, but it is damn close with Alyssa Peely. I don't like, we don't have any comparison for like what she does at the rim, just the way she uses her hands, the approaches she takes, the angle she's at. I, I don't understand. I don't understand what she's doing half the time. And it just goes in. 
like that's that, that I think is where it starts because if someone who is quote unquote six two and clearly is six one at best when you're watching them, if someone like that puts up these numbers, you know we'll watch them and we'll say, oh, okay, you know this isn't a good comparison because of the athlete, because it's not a, really a question of height, but like Zay Green at uh, at UAPB is putting up a lot of interesting stats and she you know you watch and she has some interesting skills, but there are ways that you tune in and you go. Yeah, I mean, this is interesting, but like certainly in a year that's this stacked, it's not, I don't think, someone worth dwelling on too long, just given some obvious limitations. But when you tune into Peely and you see the way she's finishing at the rim and the way she is able to get around pretty much any post defender around her, I mean, that's when you say, okay, this is like, this is enough of a fallback skill that we have to start thinking about her as a real prospect. Um, did it change anything for you? who she was doing it against though this past Sunday. Yeah, there was a couple moments. I think she got blocked on I think almost all of her misses were she got blocked. But <laughs> outside of outside of those, she creates so much space with her drive, with her footwork. Um you if you look at her, you look at how like her she's she's quick. Like she's quick mm-hmm. off the line. She has elite Shockingly burst. So. Elite burst from either at the elbow or the three-point line. I think she gets to the rim extremely well. The one thing with me and I've noticed so far um, Lincoln, our other co-host, knows this as well, is that with her jump shot, I just don't think she can make it against Contest. And that's going to be a, probably the biggest problem with her because her release is super low. And if she's only like 5'10", 5'11", she's seven she out ten. I want to be clear. If if she is, hypothetically. It, it gets, it gets, it gets <laughs> if she gets her gets feet hard. cut off. Right. <laughs> no, I mean, I definitely agree with that. I think the question in that sense becomes, you know, how much do you believe in the driving game? I think it's very Yeah, I, I well, that's it. I think it's very and this is why I asked you about opponent because you know we saw what she did in a couple of games against Cameron Frank last year, and that was that was the first that was I think I can say with some level of confidence, that was the first time that Alyssa Peely had, I think, ever really, really played against, first of all, a defender mm-hmm. who were profiled as someone who could play the five in the W and was, you know, physical enough, athletic enough talented enough at, at the, you know, tangible things to be that level of player, but also like the first time she'd played against that level of player since really getting the coaching and getting the system and getting the just sort of love, just sort of situation she deserved for someone of her talent uh, in Utah. We could, t- we could, we could talk an hour about how awful USC had been coached for you know, decades <laughs> before uh, Lindsay Gottlieb got there, but that, you know, Pilly's, Pilly was a victim of that. And, you know, we again, like I'm saying, we, we saw what she did against Brink last year. We saw how she did against Ryan Marshall, who I think profiles in a sort of similar way, not a prospect for other reasons, but, you know, we had some level of evidence for that. But I think this was the first time where it's really a pro-style front court she's going up against. Someone who profiles as possibly a plus post defender at the next level. Two defenders who profile as plus post defenders while also being relatively elite athletes either in size or in sort of ground coverage for their position that she's going up against in this game and i think to me the way that she was able to physically overcome the lack of height and in ways that she kept repeating you know again was watched a couple of times and i think that that takes us into our questions about or not our questions but our observations on camilla cardoso in the same point but the way that she was able to be basically completely unbothered by the difference in length between herself and Watkins more than Watkins usually bothers people. And the way that she was able to seal against Cardoso, I think for me was a little bit eye-opening. 
Yeah, I thought Peely held up really well. Like in some of the moments, it was more so Peely playing extremely well versus Cardoso just out of position, not not mm-hmm. doing what she was supposed to be doing. And that was the main thing that impressed me most with what she did. But with Peely, it's always going to be the defense is the main the main question with her. And it gets tough because it's she's not a three and she's also not a five and she's also mm-hmm. really not a true four. Like she doesn't really have a position. Um which makes it extremely tough to build around her and put her in a system that um, you can really succeed in. Like we talk about certain situations. New York is pretty much the ideal spot for her to go. <laughs> like a lot of players though, but you you surround her with two bigs that can also shoot, are extremely mobile, and they also have like plus, plus, plus size at their position. Mm-hmm. Um, but outside of New York, do you think, where do you think Peely really is best position to succeed because that is the main thing with a lot of prospects it's, it's where you get drafted a lot of times that can really depend on it yeah and i think you're getting at the main at, at the real interesting point here which is you know as we've been saying there are these skills above that that sort of go beyond the height to where we can say you know the the face-up game the driving game the post finishing they they are where they are in a way that it's at this point, doesn't matter so much how tall she is offensively because she's going to be able to get that off. You know, how much that is limited, like you said, with the angle of the shot against closeouts, I think is a different conversation altogether and one that's a little more philosophical and an interesting one nonetheless. But it, her defensive ability, like you said, I think that almost shoehorns her into the four and not in a good way for me. But I, and I think that sort of dictates where you want to see her go. You know, you want to see someplace like Seattle where, you know, you're going to have defenders like Casey Magor and Jordan Horston next to you. Um, one of those two players is at this point a shooter that defenses need to respect. And that gives Peely, you know, enough room. Like Peely, if she's driving to doubles every time, you know, she's going to make a, a, a fine kickout pass out of that and not force it where it shouldn't be. But, you know, you're just not leveraging just that it really elite yeah. driving game in that You're time. really limiting. Yeah, you're really exactly. limiting her best skill if you have a non-shooting five, which makes yeah, sense. Yeah, and, and that's why New York makes it so good. Um, that's why I think Vegas, even though Asia didn't take as many threes this year, Vegas would be a very fun spot just because of how well Asia moves. Really yeah, pressure there. Space well. Exactly. I think I think Washington would low-key be a pretty great landing spot there as well, not because, you know, we expect Kira to start shooting threes, but because Kira is so damn good moving without the ball um it just relieves pressure and it allows the, those really open lanes i think peely would you would want to see her be able to pass through it at least so after the break we'll get into the second portion of this matchup between camille cardoso we'll talk about her prospects and more Prize picks is the most fun I've had winning up to 25 times my money this basketball season. You just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projected stats, and place your entry. With with the basketball season here, you can now pick a combo projecting across football and basketball from the specials league, a league created specifically for combo projections that include two or more players from different sports leagues. For example, LeBron James plus Travis Kills, yet 10.5 combo of three pointers made plus receptions. PrizePix even offers a reboot policy so that one of your entries stay in place even if one of your players gets injured. For football and basketball games, if you have a player who exits the game in the first half and does not return the second, that player is rebooted. PrizePix is the only daily fantasy sports platform with an injury insurance policy. 
PrizePix now offers offers Apple Pay for quick and easy deposits into your account this basketball season. Go to prizepix.com slash LockedOnNBA and use code LockedOnNBA for a first deposit match up to $100. That's code LockedOnNBA for a match up to $100. All right, and we're back. So let's get into our last segment on Camille Cardoso. So I'll throw whatever to you, Em. What is it about Camille Cardoso that makes makes it interesting? And I want to talk about more with this episode about the developmental context for her, where you believe is the best spot to maximize her skill set. Yeah, so I'll start off at least by saying why, or I guess not saying because we already said it, but reiterating why this is in this is a good time to bring her up again. I think it's the Peely matchup and we're trying to take away with players like Peely, like with Cardoso who don't have, you know, a four year sample that we can really go off of and take things from, you know, the fourth month of their freshman year, all the way through the, the second game of their senior year. No, with these kinds of players, like we're saying, the contexts are different. Cardoso transferred into a different system. And this is the first year she's starting since her freshman year. So when it comes to, you know, being able to look at what we want to look at with that and with the way that South Carolina has not changed up but adjusted. I think the way it def- it wants to defend a lot of actions defensively, we, we we are going off of this year and we're and every data point that we get really holds a lot of leverage over these things. And so our scout on Peely really informs our scout on Cardoso defensively because, you know, if we're saying Peely's drive, driving finishing game is something that could work so, not could work, but like is likely to work not only against WNBA fours, but WNBA fives as well. It means that, you know, Cardoso quote unquote, giving up 37 points. She wasn't the primary defender, obviously on all of them, probably not on half of them or for being honest, but her being a part of that and not being able to stop that by herself, it comes in a very different light than if we say, you know, say like Jenna Johnson dropped 37 instead. Very good college player, not a prospect. And it means very different things, I think, in that context. For me, you know, there were, I think, the first three possessions of the game for Utah offensively. I think they all ended in matchups of um, Peely either attacking off the catch or just having a straight ISO against Cardoso. Two of them ended in Peely buckets. One of them was a, one of them was a seal and a finish in the post. The, the other one was a, was a three. And I believe the one in the middle, I, Cardoso defended really well. I don't quite remember if it was just a contest or, or if it was a full block, but th- she, Cardoso really battled through that and was there in ways that, you know, we've seen defenders like Cameron Brink struggle with. And being able to do that against that level of mobility, having two or two, genuinely two or three blocks in, you know, one-on-one defense while still having to contend with that elite level of athleticism at least the way we're scouting her to be an elite athlete for Peely, i i i think that affirmed some things for me in the scout in a positive manner that i didn't really expect to come away from that game uh thinking about um you know i i wonder if you not only if you have the same takeaways but what you think that means for the context you want to see cardoso jump into you know next year in the w yeah the hard part with cardoso is i don't think any of the teams within the four through eight range really need a starting center. In my opinion, Mm -hmm. I just don't think that's the major need for them, but I think this, this year in general, just affirm that I'm just higher on Cardoso than I came in into last year and throughout last year. 
I was just I was out on her completely, and I probably shouldn't have. I probably shouldn't have wrote her off so quickly. But Same. I think that the mobility is something that I've noticed, and I think that if you believe in then if she can be an elite drop defender, you believe in these skills, translating at the next level, like we've seen at South Carolina, having someone next to her at the four that's also extremely athletic, um, helping on the back end is really nice for her. Just kind of have someone that can run around, uh, do a lot of different things. But as far as building a defense around Cardoso, do you think, like just specifically, do you think you would want to build a defense around Cardoso? Like if you if you were building a, a WNBA team, is that the type of player you'd want to have starting at center for you? Because that's kind of where it gets for me. It's like if you're taking a player extremely high, like some some have her at number four, if you don't really want to have her as your I – just, I just don't see it if you don't think she can be that. I mean, I think that's an interesting question, right? Because, you know, you phrase that two different ways. And I think the difference between that is subtle but very important. You know, the first the first one you asked was, do you think or something along the lines of do you want to be able – do you want to put yourself in a position to build a defense around Cardoso? And the second one was, do you want to have her projector to be your starting center defensively? And I think those are two different questions and they're a little different. You know, I was going into last draft and I still am – someone who thinks that Leah Boston is not someone that you want to be hedging, being super active at the level a whole lot, really, honestly. And I think you pretty much want to have her drop at basically not 80 to 90% of the time. And for that reason, I was a little bit lower on her defensively, still elite, still a role eight, easy, but just a, but just a little bit lower on, on, on her in that sense. But within that context, she was still look at her. That is someone you want to build a defense around. But I think when it comes to someone like Cardoso, I I think that the, it's very strong in the cards that she's someone you can look at defensively and say, that's a starter in three years, two years, what have you, but not something you want to build the defense around, right? And I think that when it comes to someone who you want to be in drop, basically 100% of the time, as much as her acti- activity at the level and ability there, I think has impressed both of us this year, you know, you, that's not what you want it to be. That's not where you want her to be against WNBA level athletic guards, right? So, you know, again, she is someone you can fit into a context. You can play in a drop scheme. Probably don't want to build the drop scheme around her. And I think that's a little bit of a subtle difference, but that's something that takes you from, you know, being an easy lottery pick to being a really solid first rounder with, and we can talk about this on another episode. I'm sure I'm sure we're going to write about this at some point this season, whether it's on the final board or before that. But the specific ways in which she's good and which she's, let's say, unrefined right now are the ones like you would want to be good and unrefined in if you had to sort of allocate skill points as if this was the, the this was like an RPG. Um, and I think in that sense, it gives her the upset that you want to be there. Um, but I think you make a really interesting point, especially on the draft order. You know, the talent is where it is. Would you... You know, ignoring the order that the teams are in, would you have you, you would have her? I assume as a as a very solidly like mid first round pick, right? Based on talent, yes, I would have a mid first mm-hmm. grade on her. But the problem with Cardoso is is she's a type of player where if I was doing a mock draft, just based on what I would do, she would probably slip farther than my grade on her. I just probably. think in general, her skill set is something that a specific team probably needs rather than you're just drafting an extra big to have. I think if you draft an extra wing, you can always have an extra wing, extra guard. But I think you're a little bit more limited in having a drop big out there because she can only play one position and stuff like that. So I think we've seen people mock her to number four. I just think that's probably a really bad situation. I think you're really limiting what she can become because I don't think Ezzy 
Cardoso is really what you want to have as your four or five. So I think yeah, you're, really, I, you're limiting what she can grow into, really. Yeah, and I think Seattle, and this is not based on inside information, but I, I, this, you know, on the sort of spectrum of like, I think I, or I feel, I think I know, I don't know, but I think Seattle is probably a team that's going to be high on her, um, and not in a bad way, in a very reasonable way, probably. But again, the fit next to Ezzy is not what you want, given that we, I think saw it proven last year that Ezzy is a five and in a good way, in a very good way. But I think, I think that's the tricky thing in terms of this, in terms of the way the first round set up, you know, like if Phoenix somehow convinces Seattle that Phoenix is really hell bent on taking LA Edwards, but the cost of switching picks three and four, isn't that high. It would, this is going to happen, but again, just setting up a really weird th- uh, theoretical situation, you know, Seattle trades up and switches three and four w- with Phoenix. Seattle takes Leah Edwards at three Phoenix, you know, Brittany Griner, let's say Brittany Griner is probably not too many years away from retirement. Certainly there are strong rumblings about her wanting to play in some different places with different teammates after D retires, probably after this year. So they're ex- let's say they expect BG to retire and they are definitely going to or not retire, but not be with them in the long haul. They take Cardoso, and that's a good fit for Cardoso off the bench this year, starting within a couple years in in this sort of drop scheme that they're going to want to run. And then she goes for it, and that's perfectly reasonable. That's a good fit. That is my favorite spot for her, I think. I think her in Phoenix is like the ideal spot. Absolutely. But if they don't trade, then you go, Seattle's not going to want her in that. Seattle might want her anyway, and they might just take her as the backup. But if they don't, then you go down to the Dallas Wings, who already have McCowan, and, and they've got her locked up for a number of years. They Do you really want to spend your number five pick on a backup who's definitely just going to be a backup for the next three or four years that you have there? Then you go to Washington. You don't want to be playing Shakira Austin at the four. She's so damn good at the five. You move on. Your next pick is the Minnesota Lynx, who have all of the backup centers in the world. I think Cardoso could work really well in the piece of Collier, but when they have so much depth at the post, if there's a good guard that they really like, it's really easy to see them going another way. Then you hit the Atlanta dream and, you know, someone within like the dream wings, sun Liberty is it. She's not falling past there. I want to be clear, but you can really easily see looking at this draft order, how you go from like, she could definitely go three or four to she could really go nine or 10 and not of her own fault. It's just how the draft is stacked up this year. And I think with Cardoso, it's a similar situation with Atlanta as it is with Seattle. If you believe mm-hmm. Cheyenne Parker is someone you want to keep around long-term, then I think that it doesn't make sense to take her. But if you believe that Cardoso could be the person you have at center long-term, then it makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right. So thanks for making Locked Women's Basketball your first listen every day. For your second listen, check out Locked On Check out Locked On Sports today, the first ever national sports 24-7 streaming channel on YouTube. You can join the team back in the next back next week for continued coverage of women's college basketball. And again, we'll be back here next Saturday for more WBA draft coverage. Have a great rest of your weekend, everyone.